Hey everyone, I'm Andrea Ferretti, and this is episode 219 of Yoga Land. Hi there, Jason. I always feel like I should have something more exciting to say than, hi, Andrea. <laughs> but I don't. In years' time, I still don't. I know, and I always start it the same way too, but it's just the easiest way for people to know that you're here I rather than. Sure. My guest today is Mr. Jason Crandall. Executive of <laughs> Crandall under Van- Vandalay Enterprises. <laughs> Vandalay Enterprises. So we are heading, barreling toward the end of 2020, folks, right? And I myself am really feeling it lately. And so, and I assume lots of other people are too. And so I thought we would talk about resilience on today's episode. But first, let's talk about the programs you've got coming up because you've got, we're like, we're ready for 2021 over here. Yeah. First of all, we are barreling towards something and I am full of Christmas cheer. Are you? I'm, I mean, I, I might, maybe I'll get in trouble for saying Christmas, but I am full of holiday cheer. No, you can say Christmas. Well, I said Christmas, but I mean holidays. Like I, I genuinely love this time of year. I love everything about it. And yeah, I have my 500-hour training online coming up, and registration is barreling along. And then I also have just launched a course with Tri-Yoga called Return to Your Center. And it's really designed for everyone, but especially teachers, to come back to their practice. It's, a, it's really a practice-oriented program and training. It's, it's super good stuff. Yeah. yeah. And the the return to your center is it's more of like a like teacher's retreat kind of situation than it is a teacher training. Right? Yeah, it's like one of these things. Okay, so when you are teaching yoga and you are not doing a consistent yoga practice, your life is not good. It's really really it's just really awkward. It's really uncomfortable. And so the essence in so many ways of being a satisfied teacher is being an engaged practitioner. But the reality is, as a yoga teacher, you fall off the wagon once in a while. And so this is a practice retreat-based online curriculum, but it is also a training in that the practice is the heart of our discipline as a teacher. So I'm not going there's not going to be a whole lot of training on injury management or sequencing or this or that but it's really going to be about as a yoga teacher how do you come back to and retain a sustainable practice and use that practice to create content for your classes without kind of mixing up the two. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And I will just put links to both of those on the show notes page. So you can go to yogalandpodcast.com slash episode 219. Or you can just go to our website and you'll find links to both of those programs as well. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So should we get back to resilience? Yes. I've just been practicing pulling a lot from my own practice over the years lately just to kind of maintain some sense of inner resilience. I too love the holidays and I'm excited about the holidays. I've been surprised that this most recent lockdown that we've gone into in San Francisco happened just about a week ago. And we've rolled back several, several things. Playgrounds are no longer open. Outdoor 
dining is no longer open. We're not supposed to gather with anyone from outside of our family, even outdoors, even like sitting, you know, in your driveway, in your chairs with your masks on, not supposed to do it. No pickleball. I don't know if you know, knew that, but pickleball is on the list of things you're not supposed to do. No, I read it clearly. Yeah. You misread it. Pickleball is completely acceptable so long as the pickleball is only played by members of your family and household. Really? Yeah. What is not acceptable is playing pickleball with another family. Well, anyway, I that I joke I mean, I jest about the pickleball pickleball thing because we don't have pickleball up here in San Francisco. But this lockdown has really weighed heavily on my soul. Just really, I'm really it's just been heavy for me. And and we are no, not going to go see any family, which just also weighs heavy for me. I haven't seen my mother since March. Um, and uh, yeah, so so that's that's where this episode is really coming from. So the first thing that I thought of when I thought about this episode is just the way that we learn to be with difficulty in our yoga and meditation practice. Another way of thinking of this is in psychological terms is distress tolerance, right? It's building up your ability to, to accept that there are difficult times, there are difficult feelings, there are difficult sensations in your body, there are difficult events in your life, and you just can stay as neutral as possible, allow them to be there, breathe through them, and also kind of know that things always shift and change. Yeah, you have been having a, an internally conflicted phase of life, right? I can, we've talked about that and I can see, I can see that the newest lockdown is, is kind of weighing on you. And I feel like both of us this year, I think everyone that's listening has had to deal with a significant interruption in what they've known in their life. I think for you and I personally, we like you and I have really similar personalities and we have really similar emotional landscapes, but we have different triggers, mm -hmm. right? So it's kind of fortunate because we can understand each other really well, but you usually don't come undone about the same stuff. I come undone and vice versa, right? Yeah. So for me, this newest lockdown, like there's, there's nothing to me that's actually different in terms of the daily functioning of, a, of our lives. But without a doubt, you and I are drawing on our significant resources as yoga practitioners for a long period of time. I think the first thing that comes up for me, to be honest, is there is a certain amount of not getting what you want in your yoga practice when you're a yoga practitioner, right? And to me, that's kind of the first way in which as a yoga practitioner, you explicitly get the experience of getting through difficulty. And oftentimes it just comes up with simple things like postural difficulty, and when you come up with postural difficulty, you have a difficult time balancing a handstand, but someone else doesn't. You also then get the opportunity to kind of go through the comparative analysis. So not only do, are you not getting what you want, but you are perceiving that someone else is better at a thing. And you have to come to some adult mature reconciliation with these events, right? You have to start to reconcile that 
hey, this person that can balance and handstand isn't living a fundamentally better life because they're balancing a handstand and you are not. And also, you are not living a significantly worse life because you are struggling in this posture. So you start to go through this process where if you're going to continue to practice yoga, you are going to have to get through some of those those little vulnerabilities and those little emotional weaknesses and those little places in which the mind mistakenly says, I have less or I'm not enough, right? And I, I think the reason that yoga is such an effective environment to experience these things is because in the big scheme of things, postural difficulty is a remarkably unimportant thing. You know what I mean? And you see that like when you're practicing triangle pose or bakasana, if you're having a difficult time in bakasana or a handstand, like that's legit in the moment. But if you hold on to that for days and days and days, you have to learn to get through that. And I think ultimately the yoga practice is so successful at helping us get through certain amounts of difficulty because the difficulty of a postural limitation is is nothing like the difficulty of restaurant owners no longer being able to to afford rent. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would say the same thing about meditation, you know, that when you're sitting there doing this mental training, a lot of crazy thoughts come up that are just like frivolous, you know, like my friend telling me when she did a several days um, Vipassana training that she just really couldn't stop thinking about fried chicken. Like she just desired fried. She just wanted it so much. She was so hungry, whatever it was. She wanted the comfort. She wanted, you know, fried chicken. And she just said one day she just started laughing. Like these are the things that we, you know, that we, (laughs) we go through things that are genuinely legitimately hard. And we go through things where we make them hard on ourselves. And I mean, I think I've been doing that a little bit lately. And that's what I notice in myself. Like, like you said, this is, we're fortunate, like our daughter's even still in school and yet it just feels so hard to me this time. And so I have to really sit there and, and remind myself, like, you can do this. You've sat with difficulty before you've, you've, you know, you've been able, you have to sort of learn to ride it out. And I think that these practices help you do that. Not only do they help you do it, but I, I think there's this inherent process of, not always trying to ameliorate the difficulty, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's really difficult because there's a natural human impetus to remove discomfort. And I think that the yoga culture, the modern yoga culture really feeds into that because so much of the, the broader modern culture tries to sell us convenience and luxury and comfort and kind of this, this sanitized lifestyle in which if we just do all the right things at the right times, then life is going to be smooth and we're going to be comfortable in our own skin. Totally. And and life just isn't that way, you know? And so I think that the more, the more we accept through our yoga practice, the reality that there are going to be significant phases in our life where we are not immune to the human condition where we are going to feel pain, we are going to feel difficulty. And to be honest, there's nothing in the short term that is going to help us not feel a particular way. You know, we shouldn't, hopefully we're not practicing yoga 
as a way to to not feel the range of humanity. Yeah. But to be more regulated and skillful in how we adapt and respond to those feelings. And so having clear expectations with life, because I think that's just sometimes that the broader yoga culture, especially through social media, just it doesn't project a, an accurate reality. It projects this very curated, desirable yeah. reality. But that sinks in because media sinks into our subconsciousness. So if we are unrealistic with our expectations of practice and we're unrealistic with our expectations of life, we're just not going to be able to handle the current situation when the current situation is painful or inconvenient. Yeah. And we're going to feel like we're dealing with an affront. The world has dealt us a, an unfair card that it hasn't dealt someone else. And that, so what we need to do right now is we need to reconcile this and get back to smooth sailing. And there's just a lot of scenarios like the global situation that people have been dealing with for a period now that just show us that certain life circumstances are a little bit beyond our immediate control. Mm -hmm. Totally. That's right? actually very true. I mean, I, th I, wanted to, I think you touched on something really important about sort of wellness culture. I don't think it's just yoga culture. I think it's wellness culture in general, which is this idea that if you do everything right, if you take care of your body, if you do your yoga practice, if you eat this food, if you take these vitamins, if you drink this spirulina, like you will be as happy and beautiful as I am. Sure. Right? That's guy I think what you're talking about with social media like and it's crazy to me that it is rampant now because of social media. But it's desirable. The I think the reason it's so rampant and the reason it sells is because it's desirable. Sure, like it's, it, right it's, it's it plays aspirational. On, it plays I get on it. right a very normal human desire yes. to have a route towards stemming our cravings and facilitating comfort. Yeah. And and you know it's not to completely slag wellness culture or yoga culture because having aspirational steps in those directions is really good. You know what I mean? Like it's, it, I think it's really, I used to think like totally as an aside, like I used to think that stuff like Tony Robbins was like the most wicked stuff on earth. Right. But I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna make a pitch for it, but, but things that give people an aspirational step of confidence in the right direction, I cannot completely ignore their value. Yeah. So, so I would not, not to take yeah, us, not to take us into, a, a, I know a, very little about Tony Robbins. No, I know, I know, I, I know, I know. Yeah. not, not to take us in, into a dark well. I, and I, I should, maybe shouldn't even brought that up. But the point is, is like, I think we just need to be better at having a critical and analytical discourse and understanding of the human condition. Yeah. So it's good and reasonable to have aspirations. It's good and reasonable to participate in aspirational culture. It is not good and reasonable to think that by engaging with aspirational culture that all your woes are going to go away and never come back. Well, I think because I think what happens, the key here is that if it sort of leads you to believe that it's your fault, if you are not looking a certain way, feeling a certain way, et cetera, et cetera, at all times, right? People en end up internalizing their failings if they feel like I'm doing all these things and I don't feel that way or I don't, I'm not having that result. Let's move on because I think we kind yeah. of belabor this point. Yeah. But, but yeah, I think um, I just thought that was interesting that you brought that up. Yeah. 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 Another 
thing that I have kind of been thinking about lately is those of you who've been listening for a long time know that I, I really respect Kelly McGonigal's work. She is a psychologist and a researcher at Stanford. Uh, she's written a number of books. One of my favorite books of hers is called The Upside of Stress. You and, actually had her. Oh, let's not talk about that. On the podcast, but you had, it was your second <laughs> podcast ever, right? Yeah. The Upside of Stress. And it failed to record. <laughs> You had a you like had a rookie bomb. I can't believe you're bringing that up. Um, yes, I had her on the podcast, and it never came to pass because there was an audio problem. Uh, so anyway, she talks about post traumatic growth, right? We we always we've heard the expression post post traumatic stress, but she talks about the fact that after you get through a really difficult life event, that you can take the opportunity to look at how you grew from that event. And she even encourages you to write a letter to yourself. Kind of, I, I like it because it's kind of like rewriting the narrative. Dear handsome. <laughs> I did it with breast cancer. I did. You did? Oh yeah, I did. It's amazing because I certainly wouldn't wish cancer upon anybody. And I, you know, but no matter what, no matter what difficulty you go through, if you get through it, you have grown in some way. Yeah. And so it's really just looking at it through that lens. It's really just sort of a lens change for yourself. And, and it's, again, one of those ways that you can recognize that you're just part of the sea of humanity going through a human, human thing. Dear COVID-19. Oh, gosh, yeah. What's up? Whew. You know, I, for better and for worse, draw on a remarkable amount of sports analogies and metaphors. And there's some things I've been thinking about a lot lately as it relates to yoga and as it relates to our current situation and as it relates to business. And I say business because I help train so many yoga teachers and I'm genuinely interested in their livelihood. And so for me as a teacher teaching teachers, I'm not just teaching them subject matter. I need to help give them some insight and guidance into, into having a livelihood. And I think that there are a couple of things that are undeniably important and that can build to stress resilience. Okay. The first thing is we have to, as soon as we can, get rid of any static notion of life. We have to get rid of any notion that what worked for you yesterday or today will work for you tomorrow. The rate of change in the yoga landscape, especially with the technology world, is such that as a yoga teacher, you have to be really diligent about understanding how to communicate your teachings across multiple mediums and you have to assume that those mediums will continue to change and evolve and grow. And there's two sports kind of thoughts that, are, that come up with me, which is I have watched professional sports my entire life. And one of the things that I have marveled at is, especially in the free agency period, which has been different for different sport teams for a long time, but especially for the last 10 years, the makeup of any given team's roster might be 40 to 70% different year after year after year after year. 
which means you have to fundamentally reinvent your team, your organization, your infrastructure, your coaching, your staff to a degree of 40 to 70% every single year and still perform at the highest level. Now, granted, the resources, the financial resources that go into these things are amazing, but you're always and every year while you are playing your sport this year, you have a massive staff that is planning for next year. And they're not planning for next year to be anything like this year, because this year is going to be completely different than last than next year. The other thing I'm thinking about, as you know, I watch a lot of Formula One racing, actually, especially for the last year. And I've just finished this book with the chief technical officer for Red Bull Racing, who's been around forever. And he's an aerodynamicist. And so what they need to do is every year they need to reinvent the cars, right? And so they're always working on continually not only making changes, changes to the existing car throughout the year, but they know that in next year, which is actually only half of a year, because it's when the it's, there's only a half a year between seasons, that they will have a 100% different car built 100% from the ground up, and it will be nothing like this year's car. Mm-hmm. But they can't fail. So this says to me a couple of things. It reminds me of the incredible nature of change. And the ability that if you know and you forecast and you plan for change, then number one, you're more likely to adapt to an upcoming year. The other thing is you're not going to be surprised when change happens. And I think that for me personally, I can't speak for others, but for me personally, the difficulty of the first four or five months of COVID this year it wasn't my immediate surrounding. It wasn't that I was with you and I was with Sophia and I was at home. Like those were all good things. My pain and my fear and anxiety was, oh, all of this stuff that I have been doing for a long time is now different. And I was really scared that I wouldn't be able to adapt, right? I, that I didn't know how to adapt, that I would go from being successful in what I did to failing in what I did. And that is a real existential painful threat for me. Um, and so now as I step back and I just kind of think, no, this is okay. I, I, I have to be dynamic. I have to respond to change. And so. And I have Andrea, who is a really good web producer. Well, I have, well, <laughs> you have, right. This is something that you've done year after year after year. We've always thought this is like, I have more. I have more emotional stress around work change and less emotional stress around internal relationship change or dynamics. Like I trust- We have less stress about the kid. I trust my emotional bandwidth to respond to human things more than I trust my ability to pivot professionally, right? Yeah, that, that, I'm that's like what the I, exact opposite. Right, and you're the opposite. And it I have goes, pivoted so many times. And, right. Yeah. But so that goes to what I was saying, kind of what yeah. I was saying earlier is like, everyone is good at change with some things and everyone is really bad <laughs> and scared at change with other things. And so understanding what you're kind of where you're, where you are more vulnerable through mm-hmm. reflection and through practice, I think can be 
helpful in us knowing ourselves well enough to know, oh, this is a situation that just feels existentially threatening Threatening. because this thing that I feel vulnerable with is is changing, right? But the more that through our practice and life and, and whatever it is, we can remember like all things change all the time. And we can't, we can't now think, oh, the way it is now, okay, things change, but now the, the way things are is the way they're going to be, right? <laughs> it's like I say all the time with, with balance in yoga, like balance is not an address. It's not something you get to. And then it's like this fixed phenomenon, like, oh, I achieved balance and now I'm there, right? As if like, I'm a lead weight that has just been set on an item and now I'm there. Balance requires constant responsiveness. It's continually finding the center of change. Balance is a dynamic action. It's not a fixed position, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think the more that we can take that lesson from this year, right? Because I think at this point, and I think a big part of this this conversation that, that we're having is, what lessons can we take from this? You know, like what lessons can we take from the acute change and hardships that so many people have faced? And I think that one of those lessons for me is don't forget to be agile and dynamic. Yeah. Don't forget to be ready to respond to a problem. And that, and that problems most of the time can actually be managed. You know, I think that's another big thing. And, and that's, that's the thing where I'd say you, you are much better than me. I can get really overwhelmed really quickly when it comes to certain problems. But I think that the more everyone can take from this year, okay, things change. That doesn't mean I have to like sit up all night biting my fingertips waiting for what's next. But it does mean that we have to think about ourselves as problem solvers with the ability to problem solve Mm -hmm. and the ability to be agile and dynamic, which is an unbelievable upside of the human condition. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think there's just no doubt that anybody listening to this has been amazed by the adaptability of humans this year. Just driving through our city, seeing all of the parklets, which are these little mini parks that all of the restaurants have built outside in San Francisco is just one tiny little example. The stories that you have started to speak about of teachers teaching in non-conventional places. Yeah, yes. And I have a couple more of those coming. It's inspiring. It's mind-blowing. It's like shocking how adaptable we are. It doesn't mean there's no pain that comes along with that. It doesn't mean there's no difficulty. It doesn't mean there's no fear. But like you said, part of it is trusting, right? Is just trusting that you just take one step at a time. You put one foot in front of the other and that you are, we are resourceful. Speaking of the word resourceful, I want to segue to the next idea, which is you talked about these uh, sports teams having lots of resources. And what comes to mind for me is your inner resources, right? This is really a time where 
our inner resources are being taxed in, in addition to potentially, you know, our financial state. So I think now more than ever, it's important to be really intentional about how you reach out to people and your community. And that's such a hard thing because the nature of this these quarantine times is that it can feel like your community is really taken away from you. And in a lot of ways, it is. <laughs> but I think you have to be really intentional about making dates. Like we make dates with our family to play games on Zoom. And sometimes it is a total disaster. And like Sophia doesn't want to do it. And we can't hear anyone. And the FaceTime's not working. And then we try Zoom. And then we try this. But it doesn't matter. We at least connect with each other and we laugh. So it's like really making an effort to just keep knowing that you're not alone and that there are people out there joining a Facebook group of some interest that you have. You know, there's so many, you know, going back to your therapist, there are so many ways to, um, to create that connection until we can be connected in the yoga room again. Yeah. I mean, in some ways, every, people are even more isolated they've, than they've been. And at the same time, in the broader environment, people are bound by the extraordinary events of this year. Yeah. And everyone is kind of going through so many of the same things, right? And it's kind of like, there's a lot of loneliness and there's a lot of separation and there's a lot of isolation. And yet underneath all of that, there's a remarkable amount of consistency in that so many people are actually going through the exact same events. Yeah. And also I think there's, even for us, a huge appreci appreciation of how much we need other people. Like you and Sophia and I are pretty introverted and, you know, we, we really love to just be together, the three of us. But I would say, would you agree that even you are like, man, I want to see friends again. I want to hang out with people again. I want, yeah. you know, there's just a new, a really, a new level of appreciation for how much we need each other. Yeah. In, specifically in your yoga practice, I'm wondering if there's any specific practices or techniques or tools that you have been using to maintain resilience or develop greater resilience. I mean, I'm just trying to work myself as hard as possible yeah. because I just need to move the energy and, you know, the, the monotony of the day-to-day -day right now has really gotten to me as well. Just having, you know, yeah. Me just around. The, no, no. <laughs> no, but. Um, it used to be novel. <laughs> <laughs> no, exactly. After six months, I'm like, all right, buddy, get back on the road. No, Don't I'm you just, have a workshop in Tulsa this weekend? Kidding. No, but the monotony is tough for my brain. I never realized how much I need novelty. And so. Yeah, just trying to get my heart rate up, quite honestly, like even in my yoga practice, just I've never been so grateful for a strong vinyasa flow, really. I was going to kind of say something similar, but I, I, I want to make a pitch that everyone that practices just practices a, that you just start to incorporate some different things. Right. And this isn't like this is the opposite of being self-serving, because if you're listening to us, you're already listening to us. Right. But if you if you practice on glow and you've never taken a class with Dice or Catherine or Stephanie or Tiffany or, or whoever it is, like 
try a different teacher, a different pace, a different yeah. style. Don't don't stop doing this. But you know what I mean? Like do whatever you can do to diversify it or start running. And I've been saying this the whole time is like all bets are off in this phase of our life. So let part of your identity, especially if you have an uptight part of your identity, be a, shattered and let yourself go do some stuff that maybe your alter ego always wanted to do, but you didn't do mm -hmm. because there's never been a time to better time to do it. And I think this ties into resilience too, because when you remind yourself that you can learn new things, you can deal with new challenges, you can find solutions. When you remind yourself that you are dynamic and you can grow and you can pivot and, and who you think you are is pretty limited compared to who you probably actually are, then you have more opportunities to, to build the range of who you are. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to just get extra, extra deep here and just finish with this thought that I had while you were talking, which is like when you said smash all the things of what you have thought you are, I'm paraphrasing, but you know, when you do kind of feel stripped of everything that you've connected with as your identity, it can be scary or it can be an opportunity to really feel the yoga, right? Which is like, what's your essence? Your essence is love. Your essence is joy. Your essence is connection. So if you're questioning that in yourself, like I just want to remind you of that, that that is there when everything else, all your other job identities, house identities, all of those things are stripped away. That essence is still there. Can I say one more thing? Yes. Frozen pizzas are also still there. Frozen pizzas have gotten us through. They've gotten, gotten you gotten through. through. I know. <laughs> you just speak for yourself there. Yeah. I'm talking about love and joy. Yeah, so am I. And I'm going to stay here. <laughs> All right, everyone. Thanks so much for listening and take care of yourselves. Go to the show notes page if you would like to find more information about Jason's upcoming trainings, yogalandpodcast.com slash episode 219. I hope this episode was helpful for you. We love you. Until next week, enjoy your practice. Mm -hmm.